0: Well, when we did the original Mega Model issue uh, article, and then we had the responses in GCQ, the question Mm -hmm. of eminence was the most uh, elicited, the most responses. And in response to that, I think, you know, Frank led a few chapters, articles, whatever. And then this was an opportunity to bring other people into the mix, not just us. So that to make it more uh, broader and more legitimate. And What was
1: the controversy about this?
2: Well, I think the controversy actually has to do with the fact that some people do not like the fact that eminence is in our model as the top level right so i think it's related to this idea of being gifted for life and so that they would like everybody to get the gifted label and we argue that in fact you know while in childhood gifted is potential and achievement in fully developed talents giftedness is eminence right the people who are the gifted among the gifted right so the top people in the NBA, the the people who just won the Nobel prizes, you know, and and so forth. those are the gifted among the gifted um, in, in fully developed talents. And I think there are people who do not like that because they think it's too exclusive a club.
1: I also think there was misunderstanding on what we were saying to some extent. I think that it was interpreted mistakenly that we were talking about that the field should only focus on people who could reach eminence and that was just not we were not saying that because of course that's ridiculous you can't predict who will become a high achiever or achieve eminence it's such a long journey it's filled with lots of ups and downs and 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 chance occurrences so we weren't saying that but we were saying that that there are things that we could do and we can talk about this next with children in school that might make the odds Uh, of people becoming high achievers and moving into those levels higher rena did you want to say something about that yeah i think
0: you addressed this but to reiterate that uh the concern was well, what does an elementary school teacher have to do with eminence and um our point was that talent development is a lifelong process and that If you want to, if you have the abilities and the aspiration to be eminent, we need to be prepared along the pathway. But I did wanna say also that it's, I do like the term transformational creativity better, um, but eminence is a sexier word and has captured people's attention. (laughs) So we had a trade-off there.
1: So Rena, to your point, what is it that we say to elementary or secondary teachers about um, transformational creativity? What role do they have or do schools have? What what can we say to them?
0: Well, it seems to me that um, we can't burden teachers any more than they are already burdened, but um, I think we could provide professional development, for example, for generalists that would tell them about what are what's available in the community that's uh, for enrichment and acceleration, and to engage encourage them to join um, domain uh, associations or or organizations just like high school teachers do, so that they can find out more. And also, um, share the information with parents, like are are there certain middle schools or high schools that are a better place for kids who are needing more enrichment and acceleration than others within the system? And then they could become sources of information, et cetera. Um, oh, can I say one other thing? Sorry, that the other th- approach, the, the domain-specific approach makes the work of teachers a little bit more concrete than saying we have to serve the gifted um, as high IQ. It's a little bit harder to know how to serve them than if you're working with the idea that you're enriching them in their strength area.
2: Mm -hmm. I would add, Paula, that I think that some teachers do this already, but they often do this with a selective group, right? They see a kid in their classroom who, Oh, and they'll recommend a book for that kid to read or something for that kid to do after school. And I think oftentimes they're looking at the very, the one or two kids in their classroom. But one of the things I think we forget is that because this pathway is not necessarily linear, the teachers need to be, I think, looking more deeply into, you know, um, their, their classes and not just at the people who are coming in first and second right? Who are the kids who are passionate about an area? Because that passion may end up being the kid who, in fact, later on, goes on in that area. And so so using that, not just the scores that kids are getting, but the interest that kids are manifesting, you know, the joy and excitement, using that as actually also a, a way of identifying kids who they are making special recommendations for.
1: Right. And in our recent work, The three of us have engaged in on insider knowledge. Uh, We interviewed people who were STEM um, professionals, you know, really reached high levels in their careers. And it was interesting how often they mentioned similar kinds of experiences that were really important to them, like competitions in math that helped them, you know, with their knowledge of math or um, uh, opportunities in summer programs where they found other kids who were really interested in in those topics and they got a lot of support. Um, So there are some, um, while while each person's path is probably highly individual and somewhat idiosyncratic, there are some common themes that emerge as to what might be pivotal, um, critical experiences for kids. And if teachers know that, then
0: they can help direct kids towards those things. Right. I was definitely finding a peer group that had shared interests was made all the difference to their happiness and, um, development.
1: So, um, let's see. Um, let's, let's talk about this. So Dana had a really good question here. So, um, so uh, Dana said a colleague who's at the top of her field that a mother to a student with high potential and ability, shared her opinion that she doesn't think school should focus on helping gifted students because they're going to thrive no matter what. So what would we say to, um, to um, schools or educators who bet, argue that, given uh, that some students have um, less opportunity, we should focus on those, those kids.
2: I think there are two ways to approach that. Um, First, I don't agree with the premise that um, a kid who has been classified or as gifted is necessarily going to thrive on their own, right? What happens is, I mean, I think the reason we focus on talent development is that we know that you need to move from where you are to higher levels. And that's going to take input on the part of the kid, but it's going to take, you know, opportunities provided by teachers and so forth, appropriate teaching and all of that. So, So that the students who may be high functioning in elementary schools, if they do not get the appropriate educational accommodations um, um, investment, they're not going to end up being as high functioning as they would have, right? And they're not making transformational contributions as adults, right? You know, their pathways may go differently. But then there is also sort of the sort of ethical aspect of this. Our education, you know, so special education was developed so that every kid could get a free, appropriate public education. Now the courts have not applied that standard free appropriate public education to gifted. It's applied it to kids with disabilities, to children with disabilities, but I think it applies across the board. We want every child to get a free appropriate public education, and for students who are gifted and talented, that means getting opportunities like acceleration and so forth, special programming, and all of that. And I think that that's really something that we need to think about as a as our society does. The people who are in households. You know where the parents make two hundred plus thousand dollars a year can send them to specialized programs and all of that. Many of them may succeed, but think about all of the kids who, in fact, have potential who don't come from households whose families do that. The school is really important for those kids, particularly.
0: I agree wholeheartedly with what Frank just said, and I want to add this just sort of secondary consequence is that it delivers a message that um, high expectations high achievement are not valued and so we're just going to lift the bottom and do nothing for the for everybody else i don't think sends a very good message to families and children
1: right so basically it's not an either or it's a both and it's a <laughs> response so um, this is an important question, I think. So um, are individuals with the potential to achieve eminence wired differently? Do differences in wiring make these individuals more susceptible to other neurological differences or psychosocial issues, anxiety, depression, etc.?
2: You know, I think the literature on that is tremendously mixed. I do think that there are some fields where um, there are individuals who, uh, particularly the creative fields, where there are individuals who have come out of circumstances that have been challenging and and so they've achieved eminence but they have some some psychological vulnerabilities but i don't think that that's across the board and i think i mean the most recent example of that we have is um the smpy data i mean what's interesting when you look at those students now in that are in their 50s and 60s well they're not you know they're now adults you know um they are actually reporting flourishing, right? They're reporting actually great um, um, opportunities. They're 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 married, they're happy, they're success. So it's not just academic success, occupational success. They're actually in, reporting life success. So I, of course there are going to be um, kids who achieve uh, eminence who are going to have vulnerabilities. Everybody, you know, every population has them. I don't think that there's evidence to suggest that the ones who are eminent have that um, at a greater level, or even if they do that, it's the result of being eminent. It may be the result of being hounded because you're being eminent. I mean, if you have paparazzi and those kinds of things, then you're not able to deal with the success, but that's a different thing. It's not because of the of the potential to become eminent, but what has come with being eminent.
1: Marina, do you want to comment? Because you had a decidedly in your written, you said no, emphatically. <laughs> 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 I'll leave it with that. Yeah, I mean, I do think Frank. I agree with Frank but I think um, the literature supports that there are some greater vulnerabilities among people who are creative, particularly creative writers. Though it's mostly creative writers, and a lot of these people ch- um, funnel their childhood traumas into their writing. A lot of their writing reflects um, reflects that, um, but there's um, no research to support that. Um, individuals are inherently wired differently. And just like any other individuals, the circumstances of their lives are what um, interact to um, make them more vulnerable or less vulnerable, more psychologically healthy or less psychologically healthy. So um, on the other hand, Rena, what does being an outlier in the sense of being, you know, such a high achiever What does that mean in terms of the psychosocial skills that it requires?
0: Well, um, we're learning every day from headlines, from our own experiences, that people need support, psychological support, for being in these rarefied environments. So it's not necessarily their wiring, but it's if you're in a very unusual high pressure environment, um, then you need coaching, you need preparation, you need performance support. So I think that's something that the three of us have very strongly promoted as part of talent development, expecting that if you're gonna be very creative, you're gonna upset a lot of people. So if you, already know that it's not quite so traumatizing as when you get that pushback because you're expecting it and you're prepared for it and you may be able to even co-opt it if you're prepared for it. Okay so let's talk about
1: specialization versus well-roundedness because um, often the pushback um, from educators and even the concern among parents is this um, balance of uh, being well-rounded, whatever that means. And I think that's part of the issue: is what does that mean, and um, specialization and how early one should promote or um, you know facilitate specialization on the part of kids.
2: You want to go, Rina?
0: <laughs> well, I, th- I think this is a ripe research question. Of what is the optimal time in each domain for broad versus narrow? Because it goes back and forth in every domain. Um, you're exposed to a bunch of things. You find out you like STEM, so you do STEM, and then you do enough STEM and then you can't answer your questions without reading about or exposed, being exposed to another STEM domain or an art domain or po- politics or whatever it is. So it does go back and forth. The question is, we don't have research that really informs policy. Um, and <clears throat> so I I did make a, a comment, I was thinking about this, that if children can be nurtured to try their best to enjoy the fruits of practice or study, they, they should be healthy. If they confuse these messages with love and pride coming with success, the outcome is iffy. So they'll get success with regret or they'll give up.
1: Um, perfection, per- become perfectionistic, yeah.
0: Yeah, especially if they're you know forced into specializing
2: Against their will, mm. but, I was think right. it's a major question as well, right? Because we know, for example, that in some fields, that in fact, if you push specialization too early before the body is matured, for example, in some sport, that you are actually going to do damage. Yeah. So, so that there is, there has to be a knowledge of development. So, I agree with everything Rina says, right? So, there's a it's go, it's both another both and situation where. Early and So early investment, right? Early in specialization may be playing in a, a domain rather than digging in deeply in study, right? Yeah. So so, so, what does specialization mean for, at the level of potential versus the level of expertise, right? And I think that that's what it is. We also are well aware of, of this idea of pulling things from different, different areas, right? That in fact, you know, the... You know, learning. You know, spatial ability com- co- contributing to um, thinking about the DNA strands. So this idea that, in fact, knowledge that may not be a- appear to be related to what you are doing may actually be the con- the stuff that stimulates a creative response, right? Um, and, and 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 an advancement. And so that that speaks to the importance of having some breadth <laughs> alongside the depth.
1: So. The research shows, interestingly enough, that these people who become eminent or appear to be highly specialized are actually polymaths, that many of them have um, really well-developed um, ex- you know, abilities that they've developed in another area. Most notably, they, they looked at um, scientists, and uh, eminent scientists, and found that a lot of them were deeply engaged in some art form. Um, And had been since childhood, like music, or they were visual artists, or whatever. So the idea, so so, they look like they're highly specialized and only uh, and early specialized because we only see the area in which they're noted for their accomplishments. But there are other areas that uh, that they've been um, involved in. So they're actually kind of more well-rounded than we than we think of. In our own study of, of the super users of CDD programs that we, we looked at kids who used our programs over a period of years, you know, were involved many times um, in that in course or whatever, by middle school, these kids know their interests. You know, they're specializing in math and science or robotics or whatever. Um, so it's not unusual for kids to be to come to that Um that area that really intrigues them and to stay with it in middle school. So that's not too early to kind of um, um, specialize. The other comment um, I want to make is about well-roundedness. I don't really know what that means. That's, I think that's highly individual (laughs) what being well-rounded is, but I think it gets conflated with good social skills and and psychological skills. and obviously for every individual, we want to promote that, but it doesn't have to be because they do a bunch of different activities. That's not, and that's probably not what promotes it. What mm-hmm. promotes it is, you know, having sustained interactions with other kids and in, 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 in several environments. And so um, I, think, I think we get that mixed up when we talk about well-roundedness and, and, and are overly concerned about it. Because when kids go to summer programs or they participate in competitions, all those activities build social skills and psycho, psychosocial skills.
0: I just remember when I went to a special elementary school, I clearly got the picture that what we were learning was preparing us to be good middle-class participants in society. So we had these art appreciation classes and these music appreciation classes. And, you know, to this day, I, I love that I had that. And then I can go to a museum or I can go to a concert and I can recognize pieces. But I think that was the original idea of well-roundedness was that you could make conversation. You were cultured. You were, you know, you were not narrow and boring. So that. Kind of builds on your um, and and intellectually curious,
2: right? It's 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 like finishing school. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I I think it's an interesting point that you made about confusing what well-roundedness is. Um, and again, I'd return to this area of what specialization is. I agree. So at our program, at um, our summer program, ATDP we did a study a number of years ago where we asked people about their participation in extracurricular activities. And I think we were surprised at the number of extracurricular activities that many of our students participated in because our program is focused really on academic subjects, but these students were engaged in a variety of things. And over the years, we've had students who've actually taken, have you know asked for accommodations to go and do student government stuff for a week in Sacramento um, they were da- they got an opportunity to dance in Miss Saigon and Broadway because they had won this dance competition. They were going down to um, New Zealand to practice skiing, so could they get the exam early because they were on the Olympic team, the Junior Olympic team, and they needed. And that, there was snow down, you know, in New Zealand in the summer up here, and so all of these things are happening. On the one hand, on the other hand, so the students are taking a variety of writing courses with us over the course of many summers and one can say that's that specialization yes but it's also breadth in some ways as well because they're thinking writing for creative writing they're, they're you know so creative writing technical writing they're doing a lot of different aspects of the domain so it's not just limited to one thing so there's specialization but within the specialization there's also breath those
1: are really good points you guys Um, So this is the last question. I think we have time for. I thought there was a good question. Um, Dana, I love your questions. Good, you know, good job. Um, So recognize the accomplishment is subjective to the standards of a field um, in the structures of mainstream society. How can we avoid homogenizing definitions of accomplishments of success?
0: um should I go first or sure go ahead all right so we have to just like we tell people who are creative that they're going to expect to push back we have to tell people that feels change some much more slowly than others like ballet or whatever it holds on to a tradition and we kind of like that but um if it's if talent development is guided by mentors who are plugged into a, an act and active in a domain, they're most likely to monitor these changes and you know keep keep the young people involved informed um, in terms of what they need to do and their experiences. And to, I think it would be appealing to many kids to participate in a domain that is changing and is gonna be responsive to their generation.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, of course there's danger, for example, if you're an academic and you're really entrenched in being an academic and you're training graduate students. I was just hearing this from a faculty member here at Northwestern. And part of the challenge that they're having is that uh, this is in the, this cognitive science area, I forget what they call it, but um, you're saying that they have students who are coming in, graduate students, and they all are training them to go f- to academic jobs, to be professors somewhere. But that's not where their students are going after they graduate. They're going to startups and companies that are doing innovative work. And so there's this, they're trying to adjust. Um, because the faculty don't feel quite well-versed in how to train them for those opportunities. And the students are saying, you're not really training us to go to those kinds of opportunities. So I think that's what Rena was saying, like you have to have, um, I think it will be involved like, like at these training, high level training areas, kind of diversifying the faculty And it's also a value value thing like valuing people who go in a different direction like someone who goes into more applied research versus basic research or someone who goes and takes what they learned to be a public spokesperson or a public figure working in that area somehow. Um, I think universities are trying to grapple with this because there are more endpoints for people after their training or trajectories and they're trying to figure out how to how to manage that and how to prepare people for it when you don't yourself aspire to that
2: right but I agree with you I think the field fields are evolving and and there are more fields right so so a number of students who are graduating from psychology programs are going into Google and Facebook and those kinds of things these were not yeah. opportunities that existed 15 20 years ago right and you know I ha- I've had a colleague who said I mean who, and she said out loud you know um you know if you you know if you're not going to publish then why did you waste my time you know why did you come into a PhD right and so I actually think that there's In some sense, always been these kinds of things: that people who got PhDs and who went back into the K twelve schools and taught. I think it's just that there are a much greater wealth of opportunities now, and I think that that's that's going to continue. So this idea of homogenization and many of the. Many of the things that are made, the the biotech companies and the, the the companies, the pharmaceutical companies, that you know, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, those are people with with PhDs in chemistry and biochemistry and so forth who have not gone into an academic environment, but who are making ex- extraordinary contributions to society, right? And but they're not necessarily visible, right? And you know, the Nobel prizes just came out. The there's a Berkeley guy who got the wiki. I think he did it 30 years ago. (laughs) And it's now being recognized that the importance of it, right? And so this kind of stuff, and he had moved on. (laughs) So the work that he's now getting the, the, the thing for, he has moved on. So I really do think it's really... Faculty members need to allow uh, to, to to get out of the way of, of what our training, as you said, and let people pursue the avenues they want to pursue. Some of them are going to be successful, and some will not. But that's the way the world works.
1: So oh, I kind we, of oh no, I want to say Rena had a great comment in her written comments about the Nobel yeah. Prize, and she said it was interesting who got the Nobel Prize, and I don't know what field this was. It's chemistry. Chemistry and not the people who created quickly the mRNA vaccines, which is so interesting because as Frank points out, it's something somebody did 30 years ago and not a current. So it speaks to, I don't know what it speaks to. It speaks to what,
2: cultural? Well, I think it speaks to process, right? Because. I I don't know how the Nobels work, but I'm assuming that what happens is that people are nominated and, and so forth. And so I don't know that the people who did that vaccines are nominated, but to the extent that let's say because there's the work that led to those vaccines is work that started on the AIDS vaccine. We don't have an AIDS vaccine yet. And so if in point of fact we end up with an AIDS vaccine that now comes out of this work, so it comes full circle, it may well be that this work will lead to a Nobel Prize down the road. So I'm not, you know, so so I think, again, there's some... I know, it's just, it's just an
0: interesting... Yeah, go ahead, Reena, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say that the it is domain because... The Nobel Peace Prize went to these people w- aff- affiliated with the anti-war Ukraine. Good point. Good situation. Point. So, you know, I think the arts and politics, etc., are much more like present, to day. present. But I, I do think I would hate for tradition to be thrown out entirely in everything and. It would be great if there were some way to encourage, you know, present people. Well, we love traditionalists, you know, the people who are the traditional scholars who are going to love sitting in the library and smelling books. (laughs) And um, and we're also going to give you the tools to, you know, tell you what is the frontier of the field so you can go out there and do it a different way, whether it's scholarship or entrepreneurial or artistic. So that's a big, big load to carry and hopefully faculty can uh, take the challenge.